0: And we are kicking things off. This is episode five of the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Have some week four recaps for you in high school football as along with a ton of other segments. I am your host, Jason Dewey. Of course, with me is head coach Frank Monica. And we have a ton to get to today. We're going to preview some of the next week's high school football games, a local college football roundup uh, for the local teams. We're also going to be talking about um, in our Let's Be Frank segment, how recruiting has changed over time, and of course, we have special guests, Tulane head football coach Willie Fritz. Should be a great show, Coach. We discussed this a few the other night when we were talking about uh, the show, how quickly this season goes, and we say it every week, but it doesn't get any slower as the season has progressed.
1: Well, no, I mean the coaches right now—they're in the middle of a grind. Uh, they're not. It's not easy right now because of all of a sudden the, the injuries start to mount up and uh, people start to get tired and and uh, they start to to look forward to the district play and but even though even though district play is not as important as it used to be because of the power ranking system but uh, right now it is a grind and, and I think the more resilient teams are the the teams that end up in the Superdome at the end. And we also
0: want to thank our title sponsor, Ocardo and Dufresne Law Firm, for being the title sponsor of the let Frank video podcast. We're going to go ahead and dive into Prep Talk. Week 4 recap, a ton of big games that occurred, and I'll go ahead and start with our first game, which was St. Aug, who took on Carr. Of course, the big news coming uh, preceding this game was that Carr was forced to forfeit. Three football games, which didn't matter on the football field in this night. A 49-7 to victory over St. Aug, proving how talented and powerful of a football team they continue to be. Churning out talent, continuing to win state titles, and it looks like they're on a roll. They jumped out to a 21-point lead and really never let up. DeAndre Samuel went to- for 218 passing yards and piled on 68 rushing yards on his way to three touchdowns. A big game for that ball club, and I don't expect things to change anytime soon. All right, in our next matchup, we had De La Salle taking on St. Charles. De La Salle came away with the 27-14 to victory. Coach, you were at that ball game. What did you notice on during this game and, and how it played out?
1: Well, you know, first of all, St. Charles played with their backup quarterback. Uh, uh, Brady St. Pierre did a phenomenal job replacing uh, a great quarterback in A. In, in Northamore. And, but he did a great job. They had to throw the ball to move it against De La Salle. They were a lot bigger and, and very, very physical football team. And, uh, but St. Charles couldn't hold on. Um, St., uh, De La Salle that was not a throwing team. You knew walking in that they were going to have to run, rush the ball. They did that. Uh, Martin is a great back. I mean, he has over 200-something yards on his own. Uh, but their ground game was just too much for St. Charles to handle. It's, but um, they actually made a pretty good game out of it, even though they were outmanned and, and they were there to the very, very end. They were out a couple of stars on defense, and, and uh, naturally, without Arthur being in there, it made a little bit different. Not that they had to change the offense very much. Very, very, very impressed with the way Brady St. Pierre performed. But give Divasile credit, they're just a bigger physical football team and uh, front and their team to reckon with in the future.
0: Coach, another game that you were at is also Holy Cross as they took on Rommel. Rommel, of course, came out with the fourteen to seven victory. What were some of your takeaways in that game?
1: Well, you know, Rumble jumped out to an early lead and had to go forward and fourth down to get to get a touchdown. And and uh, but Holy Cross responded and and um, they, they they actually moved the ball on the ground again. And and uh, Rumble was very resilient uh, to the very end. A number of fourth down stops that they had to have the time of possession was heavily in favor of holy cross in terms of that and, and um, the offense for rebels offense didn't get a lot going but they did enough to win the football game and and um the, what are the, the, the great cornerback he, he had a nice return uh for his lsu commit his nice return for to set up a touchdown and he had also he picked up a fumble and uh did a nice job of of, of getting the ball in, in field goal range for him but the, they didn't get anything out of that particular drive but but um, you know, Rumble's 4-0 now, but they they are about ready to go to the teeth of their schedule, and uh, with a very very young defense. But uh, Holy Cross was, I thought, was very very impressive in the game, and and um, it stuck to that game plan, and and it, it was you know, on a hot day, in the middle of a two o'clock game, and on the on the turf, and I was very impressed that, that not they didn't have one player on either side that that cramped. So it was a, it was a good win for Rumble, but uh, I think they got tougher games ahead of them.
0: Hornville at Destrehan, Coach. You, uh, what, what were your thoughts on the way this game
1: played out? Well, we, at first, I think that the first half was pretty close, and there was, you know, a bunch of body blows going on. But then all of a sudden, Destrehan gets a great punt return uh, from Brooks, and that kind of opened the, the gates up for him, and they came out of the locker room in the second half and, and uh, kind of put the game away. A uh, very, very explosive football team. Uh, talked to, to Coach Luket earlier in the week, and he said, you know, he had to try to shrink the game and. And keep this their offense off the off the field but uh it's hard to do when you got just a, such a talented team like like destran is and uh certainly a team that you have to look at that to be probably the the front runner to end up in the superdome one day
0: so and much talent
1: on that but lee i mean from what we understand that nine D one guys on that team from the sophomore yeah. year to junior year and also understand that there's a kid that's a jv player playing on jv that's already been been offered by mississippi state so they're loaded with talent up and down the, their roster, and um, but uh, rest assured, they still got more football to play. But uh, it looks like the stars are lining up for this football team.
0: You mentioned Lee league coach. I, I had a chance to coach against them in, uh in, I coached middle school football for a number of years. And you had four. It looked like little giants. You had four or five guys again. Very talented ball club. These kids are playing for East St. John dragging them behind. you got four or five guys trying to grab onto him. Very talented back at Strand. and he's got a number of offers as a junior. So keep an eye out on him. Newman took on Manny in what was considered to be one of, if not the biggest game across the state this past Friday, 25-17. to 17. Manny pulled out the victory. We knew it was going to be a battle of offense versus defense. In this case, Manny had a bit too much defense. Actually had a 25-10 to 10 lead. Newman had a stop on fourth down on their own one-yard line, drove 99 yards late in the game, put up that 17-point number, but just couldn't quite get the job done. Newman also is dealing with an injury to one of their best athletes in Will Randall, Texas commit, tight end slash defensive end, uh, ACL tear, and hopefully he gets healed up and is ready to play at the next level when that time comes. It's it's never a good thing when you have to deal with that type of injury. Um. And the last game we're going to talk about is East St. John taking on Thibodeau. East St. John won 57-26. to 26. We mentioned this was their first district game. Improved to 4-0 on the year. A ton of offense for the Wildcats. And that's what you're going to see from this ball club. Very explosive offense. Uh, Coyle Gray, 10 catches, 237 yards. Meanwhile, their quarterback, Mitchell, passed for nearly 400 yards. And their back, George Martin nearly 140 yards rushing with two touchdowns. A lot of offense for East St. John, and Thibodeau still trying to find their footing as they are now in district play. That'll do it for our recaps. Let's look forward into the next week's slate of games in Week 5. We're going to start out with Riverside taking on Country Day. Riverside comes in 12 in the select Division 4 power ratings. Country Day, Division 3 obviously select. Uh, They're the 11th in power ratings country Day is two and two on the year. Riverside is three and one of course. We know about the back end Elijah Davidson, Riverside coach. What are you expecting in this matchup between these two smaller schools that are looking to get a big win to maybe bump themselves up in the ratings?
1: Number one, a country day is playing at 430 in the afternoon. And I think that's a neighborhood type of agreement that they have to have with the neighborhood. And uh, and you know that, that gets them out of a it's Riverside sort of out of out of their out of sync a little bit because they're used to playing night ball games like most people are. But uh, Country Day has has really really done a nice job on, on offense and offensive defense so far. They within two points of of beating a real fine A meet football team last week. And um, but um, I think that the coach Lee R- R- Roussel at the at Riverside, um, you know they, he's got a back by the name of Elijah Davis and and uh, Luke Email, the quarterback. He's got some weapons there for Class A school. So I don't see how if Country Day can hold up against a, a prolific back.
0: Very talented running back in Elijah Davis. We'll see how that game plays out. In our next matchup, take a look at Brother Martin and Carr. We know Carr slides all the way down to 25 in the power ratings, kind of like uh, a Acadiana situation a few years back where they ended up being the 31 seed and winning the state title. Uh, still a very talented team. The scoreboard shows, regardless of the forfeits or not, that Carr is winning by an average of 40 and a half points against some of the top competition in the state. Brother Martin gives up 16 points a game. It should be an interesting matchup to see, but Carr has been rolling lately. We'll see if Brother Martin can slow him down.
1: At Carr, looks like they're playing with a chip on their shoulder, especially since they had the ineligible guys, and I understand that they are going to appeal the case. Um, I don't, you know, in a case like that, when they talk about if it's an eligibility ruling, I don't, really don't know. Uh, the LHSA is normally known to pretty, you know, steadfast on that ruling, and uh, that they're very strict on that. Uh, so look for them to play with, continue to play with a chip on their shoulder. But uh, but if anybody could give them a, a good ball game in the Catholic League, it would probably be somebody like like Brother Martin. And that game will be played at Bermont, and, and know that they play on a different level when they play there.
0: We discussed earlier about the team Hornville uh, trying to slow the game down against Destran. You'd have to think this is what brother Martin's going to try and do. Slow the game down, play defensive football and try to make Carr beat you with as few possessions as they can have. Holy cross takes on John Curtis, Curtis redeeming themselves last week, three and one on the season, but lost to Jesuit twice last year, getting some redemption there. Holy cross comes in two and two have played some very good teams and, and had a few tight losses. What do you expect in this matchup with this big physical line for Curtis?
1: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you have to start, when you play Curtis, you have to stop what they call the hard dive, the inside veer. And because they hand the ball off in the line of scrimmage, and if you can't stop that play, it's going to be a long day for you. But they do have other things. They, they, they can do both of their quarterbacks are capable of throwing the football this year, which is unlike the, they've been in, in a number of years. They actually have. Two pretty good uh, uh, quarterbacks, and, and I think that their offensive line, as you said, Jason, will be the difference in the ball game. Holy Cross has had a couple injuries uh, to some of their better players, and um, but yet, I mean, as what I saw Saturday, they still can be a very dangerous football team.
0: Absolutely. When we look at our next game, we have St. James taking on Woodlawn. Woodlawn is now Division One Select, so playing in that brutal dis- uh, that brutal. A playoff bracket along with some of the teams that we've listed already from the Catholic League. St. James is 3-1, only dropped a game to East St. John. Woodlawn is 2-2 two and two, with wins over Carver and a big win over Edie White, a team that, as we mentioned, might not be getting the recognition they deserve. Of course, we know about Woodlawn, Ricky Collins, at quarterback, LSU commit, and St. James's big playmaker is Kai Preen, who's an LSU commit. Coach, it should be, I would expect to see a lot of offensive firework in this ballgame, two very talented offenses going at
1: it. No question. I think that's going be a very exciting game. It's going to be a unique battle because I don't know if they've ever played. And um, this is a year of transition when it comes to scheduling. You know, in the LHSAA, you sign two-year contracts. So this is a very, very interesting game in preseason. It's not a district game, but two really talented football teams. And, uh, you know, it's always interesting to see two teams that never played one another. Because you don't understand them. When you play it the second time, you pretty much have a template about what their what their philosophy might be. So this is one to watch. And it could be it could be a very interesting game. One will go down to maybe a, a sudden death at the end. Should
0: be an intense matchup. In our next one, we're headed up north. Neville takes on Rustin. Neville and Rustin are both three and one, both have played Really difficult schedules, especially Rustin, who finds himself with only one loss, and that was an overtime loss to Warren Easton. Neville has a ton of talent, uh, an LSU commit on the offensive line. What do you expect to see in this matchup?
1: Well, I mean, this game has been a rivalry for a long, long time. They played for a number of years, and way back when, and uh, with Coach Brown was there, and, and uh, uh, long, long at Neville, and so they And Chick Childress was a Ruston coach. And I mean, they used have some wars, and uh, many, for many years, you saw those guys in the playoffs in the Superdome, either Neville or Ruston. And uh, so, I would, I would, I would think this game's going to go down the wire, and, and again, look for overtime.
0: Jesuit takes on Saint Aug. That is a Saturday kickoff. Saint August three and one. Jesuit one and three. Saint Aug has talent all over the field. Jesuit, although they're one and three, have played very sound defense. And we'll see if Jesuit's slower pace can match the way that St. Augs' game, again, going, kind of going the opposite way that um, St. Augs' offense goes. So we'll see how that matchup plays out on the field.
1: Yeah, you know, if, if, if St. Ogg has a weakness, it's probably in the, in the tuba section. It's not on the football field. You know, they, they've also got guys that can really, really, run, they have a lot of talent. Uh, They'll have a lot more speed on the field than Jesuit, but Jesuit is just Jesuit. Yeah. They will play very sound. They won't beat themselves. Um, and if they don't give up the explosive play, they will have a chance in this football game because they like to run it a little bit and they can control the line of scrimmage. Uh, and that's what's something they're going to have to do to slow down St. Augustine's bonnet a offense.
0: In our last matchup, we have Scotlandville taking on Rummel. Rummel is unbeaten at the moment. Currently sitting in the three spot in the division one power rating select side. Uh, Scotlandville is number fifteen. Scotlandville is two and two after they picked up that forfeit win. Rumble continues to play these tight ball games, grinding out wins, finding ways to win. How did they match up against Scotlandville's athleticism?
1: Well, I think that you know uh, their defense is going to be tested a, a lot because the quarterback for Scotlandville is very, very active we understand, and he can run the football, and that scares the defense because you can't play two men or a lot of man. Because if he starts to scramble, everybody's got their back turned. They can run for, for great yardage. And, but they're always very talented. they got guys that can run their long, a long football team. Uh, Rome was to do it the old-fashioned way. They, their offense is a sort of methodical offense. They're not a, they're not a big play offense. They have to first down you to death and, and try to get the ball in, in field goal range and, and maybe shrink the game in their favor. But they're going to have to stop the explosive play. One good thing Rumble does uh, put on the field, their secondary is probably the, the strength of their, their football team. Well, it has been. so, But it will be tested on Friday night.
0: And a lot of interesting games. Can't wait to see them Friday night. Again, check out a game if you have that time to do so. Now we're going to go ahead and take a look at – college football and these local college football games that have been played in preview of some of these matchups. Coach, we're going to start out with New Mexico taking on LSU. New Mexico's defense is a very hard-hitting sound group. LSU's offense found a way to muster some points but had some struggles. Their defense played phenomenal, gave up two first downs, only 87 yards, I believe it was, and getting a shutout in the college game in this day and age. Not an easy thing to do, but a a nice, clean win for LSU. The one thing that has to be concerning, the number of injuries might start to add up. We're consistently seeing these players go down for the Tigers. We'll see if it catches up with them as they take on Auburn this week.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a a good point, uh, Jason. And the New Mexico game, it it, it is a good measuring stick. I mean, uh, nowadays, they have 85 scholarships like everyone else. And uh, so you can't take anyone lightly. And I thought that was a good win. Uh, for coach, especially coming off the Mississippi State win, and um, and I think he got a chance to play some player. But what seems to be evolving here is the the defense has kind of found their stride a little bit, and it looks like they're moving things around, and uh, and, and and they have some guys that are playing different positions. Um, and so I think this this game right here with Auburn is big. Um, you know, I think it's really difficult for them to go into Auburn, even though they're not having a great year. And I know their coach is on the hot seat, but uh, if they can pull this one off. no telling
0: where this team could end up unless you favored by nine points in that ball game i went i went down to by the way if you have not been an incredible experience to go watch a ball game at auburn Uh, i used to make fun of the eagle flying on the field it's one of the things that makes college football incredible just a, a very emotional experience as a fan of college football uh Again, a team that was favored by a ton in that game. LSU pulled out a two-point win, and that Auburn team won zero SEC games that season. So you can't take any game at Auburn lightly. Very tough environment, very underrated environment. Coach, Southern Miss took on Tulane this past weekend. Southern Miss pulled out the 27-23 to win, and a tough loss for Tulane coming off of that Kansas State victory. But again, as we're going to have Coach Fritz on in just a bit, um, again, a, a good learning experience, and they have a big game coming up against Houston this weekend that they can rebuild and look forward to.
1: Yeah, the kids have to get used to to winning. And I think, uh, you know, I've always professed this, after your, big, after your highest high is your lowest low. And, I mean, you can't – it's hard. People don't understand that intensity is so important in, in football. You have to have that natural intensity. And sometimes you just don't have it. Sometimes your emotion's not there. I really think a, a season has so many emotional highs in it and remember, they're not robots. I mean, this is not PlayStation. I mean, so uh, – the letdown was sort of expected. I don't know if they're, if they're a better football team, but I thought they fought hard and did and a the ball game, had a chance to win it. Uh, but it just, I think they'll learn from it. And I think that – I look for them. They have a, a totally, totally different experience against Houston this week.
0: Big game against Houston this week, as you mentioned. I would expect them to come out firing and, and fixing and tweaking the things that they need to tweak. Uh, but a very good Houston ball club. They are two and two on the year. But Dana Holgerson has that program headed in the right direction as they're going to be making that jump to the Big Twelve uh, very soon. Next matchup, it was Jacksonville State taking on Nichols. Um, another tough loss for Nichols. Still trying to find their find their way to get in the, getting their first victory of the year. They do take on Northwestern State, which is, is a one and three ball club. Uh, going into next week, an interstate ball game. There's going to be some emotions in that game, but we'll see if Nichols can find a way to finally put one in the win column.
1: Yeah, you know, they, they're now playing somebody their size, and I think that's important. You know, when you play a lot of, when you play up like that, and I guess the real D1 schools, it's pretty tough. And I mean, you just don't have the number of scholarships that they have. So so I think that Coach Rebo, he knows what to do. He's been there as a veteran, veteran coach. They've been a the conference champion uh, twice already, you know, under his leadership and stuff like that. Now this is a big game for them because, it, uh, but they actually have somebody their size that they can play against, and and uh, you know, I look for them to have some success. So don't count them out. This this uh, thing is just starting.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that, coach. That's a, a really important thing to note. Um, Jacksonville State is joining the FBS ranks next season, so they've increased that scholarship limit, as you as you just said. It's, it's, you know, not a fair fight, per in your words. 85 scholarship players for Jacksonville State, so they're trying to get their total up to FBS level. So, again, Nichols playing a, a team, as you mentioned, that might be, quote-unquote, outmanning them in that department. Um, big matchup, crazy ending, incarnate words, Southeastern. Southeastern pulls out the 41-35 to 35 victory. A huge top five victory for the southeastern team. They've won big ball games before in big situations. But to win the in the manner that they did, coach, what an unbelievable finish. Now, of course, with
1: the last play of the ball game, they throw one up and, and the guy catches a touchdown pass with our text coach cell phone and uh, to congratulate him. And I said, I hope you bo- you go to church tomorrow. And he said, Well, he had something to do with it for sure. And uh, but you know, you have to be positioned to win. And that, that's what he's done a great job of doing and um, putting his kids in position to win. A cornet word was, was led by a six year quarterback, Lindsey Scott. And uh, who looks like he had a fine, I didn't see the game physically. It looked like he had a fine night. And, uh, but Southeastern also has a very good quarterback and a good team. So uh, they're still wrecked. And don't be a bit surprised if they get in the playoffs themselves and really, really create some noise.
0: Owen oh, four Murray state will be Southeastern's next opponent Southeastern looking to capitalize off of that win, kicking down the door before they head into the true heart of their conference schedule. Coach, New Orleans Saints this past weekend, Saints dropped a, a tough ball game uh, against an 0-2 at the time, Carolina Panthers ball club. Offense still seems like it's a bit out of sorts. What was your biggest takeaway from this game, and what do, you, do you expect to see any changes as they go to Excellent. play a game in London?
1: You know, I, what was jumped out at me was that the lack of emotion they played with, and I don't know why. Could have been the, the schedule, could have been the time, the flight. You never know. Um, but the, that emotion is something that you build up during the week of preparation. And as a coach, you never know how the game's going to unfold. You never know how they're going to come out of that locker room. And uh, I hate to use this word. Um, some people call it unemotional, or you just call it flat. They just didn't seem i i saw a couple of the defenders that never get blocked get blocked on on the play and and they made things mccaffrey's a pretty good back don't get me wrong he, he always goes forward he falls forward he's got quickness and and he's just a tough guy hit 100 something yards i think they had over 20 carries in the nfl that's really really odd they have a back the ball over 20 yards because they take a pounding i mean that's why those backs in the nfl don't last very long i mean could you imagine 11 guys trying to tear your ears off but anyway i thought that Winston was a little bit out of sync. You know, we all know he likes to deep ball, and, uh, but, but, uh, but the defense didn't play well either. So, I mean, you just, you just kind of chalk that one up and say, hey, we know what we have to do. Uh, they find out. Listen, in the NFL, all those guys are getting paid. I mean, so it's, uh, you can't take anything for granted. I noticed that Sunday a lot of the dogs actually won and or uh, at least covered. So that's a, that's a big thing in the NFL that everybody has to remember. All those guys are in the contract and
0: they're, they're trying hard. Yeah. And we we need, I'm, I'm looking to see some type of adjustments from that offense. The offensive lines had trouble. Winston hasn't had a great game thus far, big comeback in week one, but definitely need to see some type of change from the saints, whether it's urgency, whether it's emotion, I can't put my finger on it. I don't have as much experience coaching as you do, but there definitely has to be some type of change. And, now you have a full week's worth of practice in London. You've got to find a way to get your energy up. It's not going to be easy traveling out there. They're already practicing, you're yeah. getting adjusted and acclimated. But it's going to be a tough game no matter who they play out there. And we'll see if they can turn things around this upcoming well, week. You know, one, Jason,
1: one point I want to make, I think, you know, we always talk about explosive plays. They had a play with Camaro was stripped from the ball. He had real good ball security. But give credit to that guy who just stripped it and that broke the whole game open in my opinion. It was one of the explosive plays, one of the big momentum plays in, in the ball game. So, um, you know, as as a coach, man, you, you stressed the, the ball security part, but I, that guy did a phenomenal job. So he knows how to strip it. And uh, and that led to, to me, that, that led to probably the loss in the game more than anything else.
0: So that'll wrap it up for our recap and preview segment. In our next segment, we are going to have special guests. Tulane football head coach Willie Fritz come on, and later on in our Let's Be Frank segment, we're going to have How Recruiting Has Changed In Football 101, we have the Route Tree We're going to have our lock of the Week and we'll have our Thanks for the Memory segment where Coach is going to talk about the 1984 Jesuit St. Aug game, but before we do, we want to thank our sponsors We want to make sure to thank Accardo and Dufresne Law Firms Samuel Accardo Jr. and R. A. P. Dufresne Your go-to River Parish lawyers experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Samuel Accardo Jr. and Ari P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers, experience, tenacity, and results. Samuel Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local Associated Grocers and Rouse's supermarkets.
2: Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company a3m vacuum services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and new orleans a3m vacuum services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics.
0: If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with R&K Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King Laplace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boucher and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. Welcome back to the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Tonight, our special guest played defensive back for Pittsburgh State before getting his first coaching opportunity as a student assistant at the same school. He got his first head coaching job at Blinn College and won back-to-back NJCAA titles in 1995 and 1996. Won an MIAA title at Central Missouri in 2003. Won two conference titles at Sam Houston and posted over a 700 winning percentage at Georgia Southern, where he won the Sun Belt Conference in 2014. He then became the head coach of the Tulane Green Wave. We like to bring on our special guest head coach of Tulane, Coach Willie Fritz. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. And you had a ton of success everywhere you've been, but at Georgia State, you were the, Georgia Southern, I should say, you were there for a short time. You won the conference title. What was the appeal of Tulane that made you want to move out to Louisiana
3: well I'd always wanted to coach at the highest level and, and the athletic director contacted me and uh I didn't know much about Tulane to be quite honest with you and, and uh he was looking for someone who had built programs up that maybe had been down for a period of time and, and uh you know I the more people I talked to you know a good buddy of mine is Greg McMahon and coach Monica knows Greg well I called Greg and and uh, he was with the Saints at the time, and you know, I said, "What do you think? Is it, would this be something that, that you know you can get it done?" He said, "You know, I really think you can get it done there, Willie. It's uh, they've had good good programs, good teams on occasions. They just haven't done it consistently, and and uh, it's been a lot of hard work. We've uh, we've had our ups and downs, but uh, hopefully we're on the on the upswing right now. But uh, my wife and I are just." Really happy that we made this decision. We love New Orleans, uh, love the people at Tulane, and know, and, uh, really feel like this is a, an awesome opportunity for us.
1: Coach, let me ask you this. Who was the first guy that have someone, uh, some mentor that actually that you emulated and, and led you into coaching?
3: You know, it would be my college coach, uh, Ron Randleman. He was the head coach at uh, Pittsburgh State. That's up in Kansas. Everybody thinks he's in Pennsylvania. But it's in Kansas, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, we had some good teams there. As a matter of fact, I just talked to him a couple hours ago. He he comes to a bunch of my games. He was at he was at our game this last Saturday. He'll be at our game against East Carolina here in a couple weeks. And he was a great uh, uh, role model for me. And uh, my father was into coaching as well, and so that that gave me kind of the bug. And uh, I figured out, you know, about my senior year of. Uh, College, I thought I was a pretty good player, but there, there was not a great need for four eight uh, free safeties in the NFL. They just didn't need any of them. So I, I got into coaching, and then I, I was a GA for Coach Randleman down at uh, uh, same Houston State. He hired me a few years later uh, as a, a coordinator, and you know then I started my head coaching journey. Uh, but uh, just uh, you know, he 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 and his wife were were just great role models for myself and my wife, too. As you well know, Coach, you your wife's got to be heavily involved. In, in Amen.
1: You, 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 your dinner's in a microwave. I know that. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's something like that. Coach, I remember Larry Zerline. I'm sure you know Larry Zerline. Yes. And I worked yes. together at Tulane for years, and he was from Kansas. And he said, Frank, he said, the average miles per hour in Kansas is 22 miles an hour, the wind. He said, I couldn't wait to get out of that wind. And uh, <laughs> and I know you talked about Kansas also. But, but Coach, uh, uh, you've been, a you know, I remember Greg McMahon, you brought him up. Greg McMahon told me this story. He said he was st- speaking at a Glacier clinic once. And he said um, it was like 10 o'clock at night, the very last session, maybe 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. There were only four guys in the room. And you, one of the first ones. He said only four guys, and you were sitting in the very first row talking special teams, and you stayed there to the very, very end. Do you remember that?
3: Oh, yeah. You know, he had three sessions, and there was an offensive session going on, a defensive session in special teams. Greg was at Illinois at the time, and uh, that's how we became buddies. You know, I sat in there for all three of his sessions. On the last session, I was the only one left, and it was an awesome clinic because it was just one-on-one between Greg and myself. Uh you know, so that, we became really good friends after that. We'd cross paths, and you know, different places I'd be at, I'd call him. You know, sometimes at 10 o'clock at night, ask him a question. Didn't matter if he was getting prepared for the Super Bowl with the Saints or, or any place, he'd always answer. matter of fact, I just talked to him a couple days ago. We, we usually visit about once a week. So uh, just a great coach, and, and uh, you know, He's in our club, Coach Monica, you know, we, we we're, we're, uh, were, I think, you know, I, I've got a, a ton of respect for Coach Monica and what he's done. I, I just told a story the other day about him. I, I was speaking at the New Orleans quarterback club and his son was there. He's done a sensational job at uh, Rumble High School. And, you know, I just uh, the first time I went and watched uh, uh, Coach Frank's team play at St. Charles Catholic, I, I just loved watching him on the sideline for the national anthem because you don't see that much anymore, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and that's important to me how our guys represent themselves is very, very important to me. And I, I think that's getting lost nowadays a little bit. And, uh, you know, I tell my guy, we talk about sportsmanship all the time. There's nothing wrong with being a tough hard-nosed competitor, but also being a great, great sportsman. And, uh, uh, we need to get back to that a little bit more and, and, uh, uh, I, I think that uh, coach, coaches like Coach Monica, you know, they're they're rare, you know, it's uh, you don't see that much anymore.
1: Well, thank you. Coach. You know, one thing I was impressed with your first three games, especially, you guys didn't have many penalties. And I know that you have a coach designated just to go through the, the, the post game penalties and go over with the team. Uh, you've guys been excellent in that department so far this year.
3: You know, we haven't had a penalty on the defensive side of the ball yet. We, uh, in four games, you know, we had. We had one uh, uh, pass interference, but they caught the ball, so it was waved off. No, we do it every day in practice. We we go over that as a staff, and then I make my coaches show it to our players uh, the next day morning in meetings. We're a morning practice team around here, and uh, you know, so, so many penalties can be prevented. The ones that we really talk about and and uh, uh, really get upset about are pre-snap or post-play penalties those are the ones that anybody that at the game can call, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, lining up or in a neutral zone, two guys in motion, you know, uh, 12 guys on the field, hard to win with 10, possible with 12. And and, and then post play, those are usually guys that are, you know, trying to put on a show, you know, after the, the play's already been over a late hit, something like that. So we really accent those because once the ball's been snapped up until the end of the play, you know, all the calls that the officials make are really subjective calls, and and uh, you know, one time they may call it a hold, the next time they may not call it a hold. But those pre post-play penalties, we we really accent those.
1: I used to call those administrative penalties because that's something that we can control. Exactly. You know, your team can control that. The exactly. other things are subjective, and interference or whatever it might be, holding. Uh, I mean, those are gray areas, but we can control the administrative penalties. You know, from that standpoint, offensive and defense, but I was, I was very, very impressed with that coach. Uh, the people don't know, I've been to your many, many college practices and, you know, after 12 years in myself at Tulane and, and watched a lot of guys, I saw Lou Holtz, Joe Paterno, their practices and, and, um, but your practice is about as well organized as I've ever seen and you are right in the middle of it. And I mean, you're not just a CEO, you are a ball coach. And that's one thing that, that I really admire about what you're doing there. You're a, real, a true ball coach. And you can tell that you love the game of football. I get a kick out of you with your microphone walking around. You know, you look like Elvis Presley in the middle of the field. And you, you know, you, you, you're barking out signals. And, and when, when it comes to the, the tackling circuit, I love the fact that you run the donut. Now, a lot of fans don't know what the donut is. But that's that new thing that yeah. that the people use for tackling did. But I was so impressed, Coach, that, with the way. And where did you learn that structure from?
3: You know, Coach Randleman was great with it. And then I, I coached for another guy. I coached a bunch of junior college football. I coached for a guy named Dick Foster. And uh, he's the all time winningest junior college coach in the history of the NJCAA and, and just an awesome coach. And uh, we would go over practice. This is before you had all the video. And, you know, and, and uh, like I watched, you know, probably four or five hours of tape today, you know, after practice got over because you can you can pull up anything on your computer now. But, but Dick would uh, – we would go through practice, you know, every single period. Each coach had to talk about what drills they were going to do, how they were going to do the drills. He would question them and, uh, you know, just write down notes after note. And uh, we had just incredibly organized practices. And that's one of the reasons why we won so many games was just our organization because you just didn't see that much at the uh, uh, junior college level, I'm sure it's the same thing when you were coaching high school ball. How how organized you were, uh, but but we we do that every day. We go over the practice in great detail, and you know I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but I yeah I got it right here. Yeah, I got a tape recorder, and I I have I got this from Bill Snyder years ago. The head the you know the head coach at uh, Kansas State. Kansas State. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I I'll go. Uh, and I'll make notes during, uh, I'll record notes during practice. Uh, today I had uh, 46 notes that i said. I used to always, you know, write the notes down. While I was writing stuff down, I couldn't see what was going on in the field. So I used uh, to use the tape recorder and I transcribed the notes afterwards. Some days I'll have 70, 80 notes. Some days I'll have 20, 30 notes. But it's, you know, just trying to get our practice as, as perfect as we possibly can.
1: Yeah, Coach uh, Vince Gibson used to do that too, but he went really? through about 20, twenty of him one year. You could never find him, you know, something like that. <laughs> Coach, one thing I wanted to mention, though, know, uh, I was a special team coordinator for a couple years at, at Tulane, and it was, and I know you really emphasize it and, and stress it, and I wanted to tell the, the fans this, but uh, one thing that was always interesting is that all of a sudden, that the, the you have to have your best guys on special teams if you want to be successful at it. And uh, here comes the, the secondary coach, and he walks in, and says, Frank, can you take my corner out? He's taking too many snaps. Can you take him off a special team? A little while later, here comes the receiver coach. He said, my guy's running all these nine balls and the streak routes. He said, can you take him off? The, he needs a break. Then here comes the running back coach. Before you know it, you play with a JV special team, and all of a sudden, when there's, there's a punt block. everybody turns around. It looks directly at you. You know you know how that goes. But, but you emphasize it, and a, special te- a good special team has to come from the top. Yeah, they, they, there's no expression that you said uh, a fish always thinks from his head so the, the head coach must be responsible for the special team to make sure that they get enough time on the field and you've done a great job with that I know you had a little couple of little hiccups the other day Oh but, yeah, uh, big I, mean, hiccups. I know you're going to rectify that
3: but we uh this is actually the first year I haven't coordinated in a long time uh in the kicking game and uh we'll get it fixed I, I've hired a great guy and he'll do a fantastic job. He did a great job in the first three weeks, but you're right. I always tell guys when I, when I put them in the special teams, I, you know, I say, Hey man, I got a really good relationship with the head coach. So uh, we're going to, we're going we're gonna to put you in there. And if you want to come out, you know, we'll, we'll get you out on offense and defense, but we're not going to get you out on, on a special team. So we, uh, we, we take a lot of pride in it. We didn't, we, we had some hiccups as you said uh last Saturday, but uh we're going to, and get back to normal this week.
1: Good, coach. Uh, you know, just turning a little bit to the Houston game. Uh, I know that the coach over there, um, he's done a Dana's done a great job over there. Um, I, I liked his offense when he was at West Virginia. At one time, I think his name was even mentioned at one time for the LSU job. But uh, what's your take on the, What do you we expect to see against Houston?
3: Well, you know, as you said, Coach Holgerson does a really nice job, and they've uh, they've recruited just great. I mean, it's a uh, heck of a setup over there and they're, they're getting a lot of kids to stay in town. You know, they've got, uh, I think they signed, I don't know, four or five, four stars. The first five star in school history, they're, they're making that move up to uh, the big 12. So this is going to be the last time we'll play them for a while. Uh, so we're excited about the opportunity going to be Friday night at 6 PM on ESPN. Uh, so we're going to be on national TV and, and, uh, you know we need to redeem ourselves. We were disappointed last week. We we played well in spurts and uh, you know uh, won a lot of the statistical categories except for the most important one, the scoreboard. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we've uh, we we need to. It's first conference game. Uh, that's another uh, big big deal for us. So uh, we're looking forward to, to going over there Friday evening and playing.
1: Great, Coach. Listen, Coach. Uh, I've always—I didn't know this when I was recruiting. I, I had Dallas for a little, little while, but um, the Golden triangle Beaumont, Houston area—they call it the Golden Triangle. Oh, yeah. They have more schools in that Golden Triangle than all of Louisiana, and people don't understand. So when you talk about talent in the schools over there, you know that because you have a Texas background. They're massive. I mean, they look like colleges over there. Oh. They even have one stadium. That I think that one high school has a 60,000 seat stadium. Isn't that right?
3: Well, they've got a 60, I think it's a $68 million stadium. It's Allen High School. And mm-hmm. I don't know, when they opened the stadium up probably about eight or nine years ago, I was, I was in there recruiting when I was at same Houston State. And the, the coach was a buddy. And and uh, I went into the high school and I went through the weight room and the offices. They were out on the field practicing. And uh, I went out on the field I said, hey, coach, man, i Heard about your facility and I, I went through it and boy that that's a really nice facility. And he said, Coach, that's the JV facility. <laughs> Let me take you into the varsity. <laughs> uh, they had they had twice as nice a facilities as uh when we got here or we had a same Houston or, or wherever. And I went down and it just it was an unbelievable place. But they got a lot of places like that. It's yes, uh, it's amazing the quality of high school football here in the state of Louisiana uh, and without those type of facilities. I mean, I, I recruited a whole lot when I came here and uh, I've been just so impressed with number one, the coaching and and, uh, and not having the advantages of having maybe three, four or five guys on staff who don't correct. teach any classes. You know, that's- yeah. You know, and I, <laughs> that's exactly. a little unusual. And uh, they're I, also not, you know, they got a weight room the size of my office. Right. You know, whereas these other places, they got 10, 15,000 square foot weight rooms, you know. So uh, I know that too. Yeah, because great great, you, great you, facilities you, over there.
1: Yeah. And in Texas. you know
3: how I'm, that is. I've yeah. been upstairs in your place before.
1: <laughs> yeah. the Taj Mahal there, Coach. You know, <laughs> at the, uh, but it's really cool is that you go into Texas and there'll be 20 coaches on the staff and there'll be. 10 spittoons all over the place. Everybody's is tuned red man, So you had to dodge that for a little bit, you know. That was cool, a great experience. But, but, Coach, you know, um, you, you, you I
3: just – kick out of this, Coach. Yeah, we, we were playing Kansas State the other day. You know, before the game, how you, uh, uh, one of the coaches kind of watches what the other team's doing, in warmups. warm-ups, you know, to see if they can steal a signal or cadence or something. And, and we're over there playing. I got one of my coaches over there watching them warm-up. And they had about 25 guys – <laughs> watching us I said wow we're we're outnumbered here you know, <laughs> these were the, these were their analysts and their you know all those other guys that they got and so uh I I feel it too sometimes
1: yeah I remember talking to the guy from Alabama one time he said in Saban's staff the used to have a staff of 10 he said now all of a sudden the meeting room had 32 guys in their meeting room the official staff but coaches just switching gears with you um there How is the because the impact of this transfer portal, uh, I noticed that you got a couple, and I think that's a great idea. Uh, Tulane is, is 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 actually made for that. They have a, a guy from Northeast, or maybe even the Ivy League, of transferring to a place that already has a degree and wants to work on his master's because you know Tulane is actually like an Ivy League school in in the South, and I know she's you've exploited that, and I think that's a great idea.
3: Well, we've gotten some guys like that. We got a guy from Columbia. We got a guy from Brown that we've had before. Uh- We actually got a guy that transferred in from Duke. He's got an undergrad at Duke. and He's going to get a master's degree at Tulane. Uh, we got a kid that transferred in from McDonough 35. One of the things that I'm trying to do is I may not get kids on the front end, but I'm trying to get them on, you know, on the back end maybe with – I think we signed four guys that came and transferred in, one from Warren Easton, a good running back, shot Clayton, uh, uh, Lawrence Keyes from McDonough 35, uh, was at Notre Dame. Uh, Patrick Jenkins from John Arnett High School, uh, who's, who transferred in for TCU. I'm missing somebody I hate to do that, but but uh, you know sometimes guys go away and they, they think the grass is greener someplace else, and all it is is green, you know, and they they want to get back home and 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 uh, you know you know let their parents see them play, maybe go to their own church on Sundays and and. Uh, you know, so we've had some luck with, uh, with getting some guys in there. You know, uh, one of the kids told me, they said, you know, Coach, that, that weight room was the same size after I'd been there six months. But he said it sure didn't impress me when I first got there. But, you know, lifting weights is lifting weights. So, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, I think it's a good rule. Uh, the only thing I worry about sometimes is, is guys fighting through adversity. You know, they get a little adversity and all of a sudden they're looking to go to the next place. Hopefully there's a legitimate reason for them to do it. We've lost very few guys, and I, I think the big reason for that, I, I feel like we've got a good culture and we treat the kids right, but I think the kids also value a two-lane degree. I think it's a big deal. For
1: them. Yeah. I'd hate to do that now, Coach, because it looks like you have to re-recruit your kids, and and you know, if you get one face, they're so sensitive and say, wait a minute, Coach, you you're not supposed to fuss me, but, but anyway, the the um, I just coached the, the Pratt kid, the quarterback. I had an opportunity to, be, to work with him at the at the Manning campus Sat next to him, and he's just a gentleman of a kid. Really pulling hard for him, and I mean, the um, I know he's he's, he's, he's been there his second year. Throws a nice ball, but he's just just a great great kid. Very very intellectual, and uh, seems to love the game of football.
3: He loves the game, he's, he's up here all the time. I got to kick him out of the office. He's a, he's a servant leader, his, his parents are, are that way as well. They're helping as many people as they can down in Florida. And he just, you know, just a lot of fun to be around. Always got a smile on his face. Very competitive, uh, you know, this is actually his third year here at Tulane. And we kind of threw him uh, into the fire the first year and had a nice season for us. And, Last year he got beat up a little bit, you know, uh, during the course of the year. and uh, But he's just, he just one of those kids, who just tough, always answers the bell, and, you know, he's played well for us out of the, out of the gate. But a tremendous leader, he's always one of our captains. He was a captain for us last year. Captain for us this year, you don't find very, very many second-year guys that are captains for you, voted on by the players.
1: Because I, I I enjoy watching him. He's just a pleasure to talk. Easy to talk. You have one of mine, Coach uh, Mandel Eugene, that little pencil neck linebacker <laughs> over there. And, you know, and, and I told him he needs to eat some Wheaties and get a little bit bigger because you're a linebacker. You have, I mean, they have some gigantic arms, you know. So I mean, he he better he better make sure. Well, man, he, man, I tell you, Mandel,
3: he loves you, Coach, and he he loves St. Charles Catholic, and he's a he's a really really nice young man. He's, a, you know. I, and I deal with these guys, you know, all the time. I'm, I'm like the principal. It's, you know, <laughs> you know I got, sometimes they come in my office and they sit over here in these two chairs. And, uh, and I have them in for other good stuff. You know, I, you, you call them list guys. You know, you got to be at right. breakfast, lunch. You know, it's mandatory for us. you got to be uh, there for meetings. We go. We started getting taped at 6 a.m. in the morning. And then we have meetings at 7 and practice, weight room. We check every one of these guys' classes. And Mandel, has, he is – I don't know if he's been on the list yet. He takes care of his business. He's where he's supposed to be, when he's supposed to be there. And uh, You'd be very proud of him. He's very
1: oh, – I'm telling you, his mom is phenomenal. When he first got to St. Charles Catholic, his mom walked up to me and said, Coach, he said, he's yours. He said, you do with him whatever you want to do. She said, because if you don't, I'm going to body slam him. You know, she's, <laughs> she's, she's beautiful. You know, but, uh, Coach, uh, you know, just a couple of little things. And I know you got things to do. But the stadium idea at first was, was that great. I, I, in my mind, I was hoping that everybody would stay in the Superdome. And um, But, you know, watching the game, especially on that upper deck, uh, with the bar right behind and whatever, and, and it is so close to the field. I mean, it's being like an upper deck of Yankee Stadium. I really enjoyed that view.
3: I, I, I've always say this all the time. If you come to a game, there's not a bad seat in the house. I think every seat is a is a good seat, and and uh, you can't say that in a lot of big stadiums. You know, you're you're crunched in there, and you know, there's a rumor of a game going on down there on the field. And uh, I just I just think it's a, it's a perfect size for us. Unfortunately, we didn't get the outcome we of wanted of the other day, but we had twenty some thousand in there, and I, I thought it was it was a very festive atmosphere. And uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a great stadium. It's right in the middle of campus, and, and uh, uh, we we really like it. Of
1: course, you know it's funny some people say, "What about the parking?" lot? I said, "Wait a minute, now you guys forget when they were. It was an eighty-two thousand seat stadium there at one time." And you were parking all over the yards, and some people would park in the river. But, I mean, the bottom line is that they forgot that very, very easily. Coach, uh, just one last last parting um, question for you. Not a question, just a statement. Um, When I first retired, Coach, you you had your staff, and I never will forget this. In fact, I still have those. You had your staff all write me a handwritten personal letter about retiring. I just thought that was was awesome. I I, got to admit this. You made me cry. I had 19 different cards from you and those coaches. And I, I don't know if you had a gun to their head or you threatened them to think where their salary, coach. goes. But I mean, it was very, very special to me. And I showed that, I showed that to my wife and she said, that's the kind of guy that you are. So yeah. how in the world, I mean, we're just hoping and pulling so hard for you uh, to run the table here and, and get yourself in, in, in bowl eligible. And I'll make sure I'll, I'll be there. And, um, and, and everything, coach. So, listen, I wore green for you. You know, I used to. Have I, like two lane, I like it. I like it. I used to. Have, yeah, I don't have a number in the back, but I used to have all kinds of two <laughs> lane here You know, at one time. And uh, but the, the floods, the two floods that my house was was involved in, them, it's all gone. But coach, I can't thank you enough for for taking your time to do this because you're a busy man, and I know you got you got you got, you got uh, bigger fish to fry tonight. No, so, I don't. But that, I, you
3: know, the, next yeah, time you're up here, we're going to get you some more apparel. We'll get you some Uh-oh. more two lane stuff, and uh and we we just think the world of you, Frank. You're, you you've done it the right way, and not not everybody does it the right way. There's more than winning games, and and you certainly uh, you know epitomize what a coach is supposed to be about. So thank you, well, for, uh, yeah. the example that you set.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying that because my wife says it differently. She said, "Yeah, <laughs> she had greatness thrown at you, but you dumped." <laughs> But, Coach, thank you so much. Jason, anything for Coach? Coach, um, one quick
0: question. It's kind of a long-winded quick question. But, you know, you've had a legacy on the football field of winning, wherever you've gone, whether it's been at the junior college level or the lower levels in the Sunbelt Conference and now at Tulane. What is the legacy that you want your players to remember you by?
3: Oh, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, involved in their lives, all the, you know, every, every day. I, n- I never have a day where I don't hear from one of my former players. Matter of fact, we're going over to play Houston and I've got, you know, I don't know how many guys coming to the ball game and I never get to see them. You know, I'm, I'm busy and my wife will tailgate with all these guys, but I had the best experience a few years ago in the spring. The Some of the colleges that I coached at were having spring football and we had a reunion at Coffeyville Community College and, I was a D coordinator there for four years and we had 50, 60 guys out and just had a riot. And then uh Junior College as a head coach here for four years. I had about 70 guys that came to that uh, uh reunion and we had a riot in the same Houston state. I was there three different times, and we had over a hundred guys at those reunions. So that's how that's that's the uh, probably the the one thing I'm looking forward to in retirement is I'm gonna be able to go to these, you know, these different places that I've been at but you know it's uh, you know like I've been talking about with Coach Monica it's it's more than coaching you know that's all you're in it for you, you ought, to, ought to get out of the profession in my opinion but uh, uh, but I've, I've enjoyed every place I've been at and, and we love it here at Tulane
0: Alright Coach hey, thank you so much for your time and we like speaking for Coach Monica but uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, to have a conversation with us
3: Thank y'all. You y'all you have a great evening.
0: Good luck, kind Coach. Good luck thank too
3: much. You. We'll
0: pray for you. Thank you. We want to once again thank Tulane Head Coach Willie Fritz for joining us. And we'd also like to thank our sponsor, LSR, for sponsoring the Let's Beat Frank video podcast. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available in your local Associated Grocers and Rouses Supermarkets. Samuel Accardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Samuel Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local Associated Grocers and Rouse's supermarkets.
2: Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company a3m vacuum services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and new orleans a3m vacuum services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics.
0: If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with r and Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King Laplace stands in the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boucher and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. We are back in segment three. This is our Let's Be Frank segment on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. And we'd like to thank our sponsors, Riverlands Insurances for supporting this podcast. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has always been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. And we are gonna go ahead and dive right into our let's be frank segment. We were actually just discussing this over the phone the other night, coach, and we said, let's let's make this our segment because so much has changed in recruiting over the years. And can you dive into what has changed, what's beneficial, what you know, what changes would you like maybe to see or what former rules may be more beneficial to coaches? Uh, go ahead and start wherever wherever you want in that conversation. A lot of ways to go with it.
1: Well, this is pretty broad, Jason. And one of the things that uh, I also want to enlighten some of the parents about exactly what they expect, especially the parents that have prospective student athletes that are looking to go to college and, and play football or any other sport, really, because the rules are very similar. Uh, first of all, I want people to know that every coach that's recruiting has to take a recruiting test. And he has to score at least 80% of it. Uh, And you say, well, 80% of it, that's like a C average. But even so, they're still required to take the test before they can go to road recruiting. Uh, And every university has what they call a compliance officer. So in in the the old days, the compliance officer, you only allowed one phone call per week to a recruit and whatever night that came on. And if the parent answered the phone and you gave them a, a recruiting spew that was your one phone call uh, per week. And all these logs must be documented and given to the compliance officer on a weekly basis. Nowadays, they no longer have that. Nowadays, they have, they have Twitter where you can constantly contact the kid. In fact, I've seen coaches on the sideline or recruiting coordinator on the sideline, and, and they've actually done away with the recruiting coordinators now. But they have people on the sideline that can contact that kid by Twitter Said, hey, are you watching the game and something like that. So you can have constant communication with players nowadays, which you couldn't have before. Uh, also, they have what they call a dead period, uh, and the dead period means you cannot have – you cannot have any contact with this kid other than the, the one phone call, but you cannot go visit that player. Now, one of the big discrepancies over the years have been what's considered a bump. So if I am at a mall and I run into a pr- prospective student athlete and I actually talk to him, that's considered a bump and all of these bumps had to be recorded. Well, nowadays uh, things have changed because of NIL stuff. So it's made it totally different. So Twitter, Instagram, all the social media things have been been really upgraded and have been part of the recruiting process now, which you didn't have before. Uh, a recruit has, has only five official visits to take. I want people to understand that, only five. Now, most recruits are not gonna take all five. Now that's official visit. And what's the difference? Official visit is everything is paid for. The transportation, room, board, uh, meals, everything is paid for an official visit. Only you're allowed five. Now, most kids do not need five. I've always been a proponent. Three is plenty. The NCAA can save a lot of money for the university by just saying, let's just do three rather than five. You know every kid it, within uh, w- within any sense whatsoever, they know which, which college they're going to go to within three. They don't need five visits, and that would save the university an awful lot of money, and the coaches would not have to babysit uh, some of these guys the other thing is is the recruiting visit is only allowed 48 hours so wherever it starts it must finish in 48 hours and um and, and that includes his travel time uh, now is this violated i, I don't know but it, it, it's very very important you understand that uh every uh, division one school is only allowed 85 scholarships full scholarships now in other words a football guy cannot split a scholarship or one of the eighty-five. uh in the other divisions they allowed 63. Uh, for instance, the Nickel State Salesians of the world, they allowed 63, but they can divide theirs up to an 85. And uh, so they might get one a new ticket and one the guy might get room and board so they can divide theirs up to reach that limit. And some schools and, uh, you know, Coach Rich will elaborate on this, too. Some schools do not have the benefits of walk on because of the tuition rate is, is so high. Uh, but some of the state schools uh, really, really have a, a very good job of that. In the old days, we had to go. This is how recruiting used to be. We had to go to the campus, and you're only allowed to go six times to a a certain campus. That include the games or something like that, and you had to either watch practice, watch a game, or get video. Uh, at that time, it used to be VHS State. Uh, when I first started coaching, it was 16 millimeter things and that, that would drive you crazy and try to have to spice those things just to watch the tape and you didn't have access to it. So you can make a lot of mistakes way back when. Now with all the camps and things that's going on, it's very, very easy to see a player and uh, all, the, all the things that are out there uh everybody's into highlight tapes and one thing i never did like i never did like strictly to recruit a kid off a of highlight tape because you know have you ever seen a bad highlight tape if you do that tape, whoever was making that tape should be fired um they used to have right now we we when you recruited a kid in in the high school you have to you have an early signing date when i first got in coaching you had to wait all the way to february so what that means is that if you if a kid committed to you early, let's say he's committed to you in December, you had to wait till February to sign him. And I'll tell you a quick story. I once had a kid that committed to me when I was at Tulane, and uh, all of a sudden uh, there was a banquet, and the LSU coach spoke at the banquet. Well, this particular kid came up to get an award, and the LSU coach said, who's that big kid? And he told the kid's name, and he, you know what? The next day he committed to LSU. So I had to get out in my car, Drive all the way back to the school and try to turn the kid back around and put him on a guilt trip. And say, wait a minute now, you committed to me first, but there, you know, but the earlier signing period now, which I really like. If a kid likes you and he saves the university money, he can commit to you and sign in December and not have to wait to February. And those coaches love it because if if they if they have 25 to sign, which that's the the maximum that you can sign in a year. Okay, if you have 25 to sign and you sign, let's say uh, half that class or 20 in December. Well, you only had just five more to go. So you knew exactly where you stood. So it would actually purge the class and you have a pretty good idea of where you are. So that's important. I, it used to be 95 scholarships in football. And I thought that was fair because 85 makes it pretty tough, especially spring training. You take somewhere like Tulane, for instance, they don't have the luxury of a lot of walk-ons. So they have to rely on their scholarship guys, uh, to actually actually produce for them. and uh, so uh, 95 I thought was fair but what had happened when Title IX came in uh, they looked at football and they cut football and because they had to give more scholarships to be more equitable uh, to all the all the female sports so um, when that happened from 95 to 85 I didn't see where the extra 10 would hurt anything I would love to see them go back. To that, because I think football is different because there are injuries involved in football and a lot of issues involved with it, especially with the transport portal, the way things are now. So you allow those five visits uh, unofficially, though, you can take as many unofficial visits as you want to. The only thing is the parents, the parents of the kid does not get anything on an unofficial visit. Even an official visit, parents can go, but you're not allowed. You're not allowed to, to pay for it on that level. Now, can, can guys get uh, get merchandise? No. As long as you're recruiting a kid, you can't give him merchandise. Now, how hypocritical is this? Because now with the NIL stuff, once he does sign, he get, he get unlimited stuff. You know what I mean? But uh, LSU just got in trouble and put it on probation because a coach gave a prospective recruit some paraphernalia. Uh, what he gave him, probably a jersey or a hat or whatever it might have been. But it's not, it's not allowed with the NCAA rules, which I think is kind of an oxymoron now and uh, what you can do, but, but uh, you know, parents have to pay their own way and um, um, and else LSU just put on probation just because of one of those things. And the other thing that used to change, we only had that one phone call per week, but, and all that was, was long, but the, 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 the bottom line now, it's just unlimited, unlimited But the amount of contact that you can have with the player, but there is a dead period. It is a thing called a quiet period now, uh, which means almost the same thing as a dead period. The quiet period means that you, you can't do anything. Now, it also used to be you can go out and sign the recruits. So uh, I remember one time I had eight particular guys that had, had to sign, and it, I was all over the, the state and Mississippi trying to run to my recruits and sign them in one day because if they did not get the, the paper signed that day, they were free to go somewhere else. Remember, NIL, it's the National Letter of Intent, you're only allowed to sign one of those. You only sign one of them. And once you sign that, you're bound to that school, okay, for at least a year. So you're bound to that school. So you have to sign it now. If mom or dad, and there was a very very classic case right down the river here, where one particular mom did not want to sign uh, that particular NIL deal uh, just a few years ago, and it was a big controversy. Finally, the mother did succumb uh, to the kid's wishes, and she signed the NIL. Uh, but the, in order for that to be to, that, that contract to be binding. It must be signed by one of the parents. So recruiting over the years has, has changed tremendously. It's wide open. Uh, coaches now do not – I don't think they have to work as hard because a lot of it's dependent on camp. Uh, and, and when the guy comes on campus, they'd rather see him and work him out themselves rather than rely just on film. Now, I don't agree with the way that, that it's that is being done now because, to me, there's it, it lends itself to a lot of mistakes um, – because uh, you know highlight tape, for for instance, I never did understand the value of just a highlight tape. I want to see a guy play good or bad. I would never sign a kid unless I watched him practice, unless I watched him play in the game, and I've been to his home and talked to his mom and dad. Uh, you know, because recruiting is not exact science. It is the lifeline of every football program or any sport. If you if you recruit or you perish. It's just it's just that that simple. And uh, I remember years ago. I mean. Um, uh, I, I was recruiting a guy by the name of Dalton Hilliard to Tulane University. I thought I had him. I thought I had him, and, and, and uh, the coach told me, said, Coach, I think you got him. And then uh, all of a sudden, one guy gets a hold of him, and, and uh, Coach Jerry Stowball, if you ever recruit against Coach Jerry Stowball, you're probably going to lose. And uh, he got a hold of Dalton Hilliard, convinced him to go, go over there. And, and the, the, the coaches on my staff said, Coach, are you signing a, a five foot seven running back? We need a, a big guy. Well, lo and behold, we didn't, we didn't sign a 5-7 running back. Dalton Hilliard is probably the same. He is the Saints Hall of Fame. And I remember the first game that he played as a freshman, he light up the scoreboard and everybody said, well, I guess we should have taken Dalton Hilliard. So, I mean, it's not an exact science, uh, but, but over the years, let me tell you something. Um, there have been a lot of mistakes made. Uh, they, how we let some of the guys... Go because, remember, if a guy is really a standout player, our wives can pick him out. But if he's an average player, sometimes it, it, you have to do a little bit more research in high school to decide. I, uh, I had recruited a guy years ago by the name of Jawan Dawson. Uh, we ended up playing for the Houston Texans. Phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Jawan played on the football team that won one game in two years at HL Bourgeois. They won one game in two years. And um, when you looked at his film, you would not take him. But we knew exactly what the kid was all about, his coach over there really pushed to one, and probably the best thing we ever did. And he was we were one of the receivers on that 12-0 football team that Tulane had. So so recruiting has changed, but remember, it's not an exact science. Now, we do have Division three schools. They, those are need-based schools. That means that they don't, they don't give scholarships. They can recruit longer because they're not given scholarship. They give a partial, but it has to be an academic-type scholarship. They don't give athletic scholarship. So basically, and let's be frank, Recruiting is the lifeline of, of, a, of a football program, our baseball, basketball, whatever it might be. And um, if, if, if you work hard at recruiting, you're probably end up with better players. Unfortunately, there's some teams that have more resources. And remember this, no matter what, kids want to go somewhere where they do this, where they think they can get a ring. It's not You can talk a lot about character, but kids, they want the ring.
0: Coach just mentioned you've never seen a bad highlight tape. i don't think you've ever seen mine because I don't have one um, but if, if I did have one I, I don't think you'd be super impressed with it. Um, but looking at football 101 segment where you get to break down a different part of football for those people at home, today you want to talk about the route tree so coach, what exactly is the route tree for um, for those people watching and listening and how do you use it in the course of a game?
1: Well, course, I hope I don't bore anybody with this, but just I thought that, um, you know, a, a route tree is kind of universal. A lot of colleges use the same number of numerical systems. One, you have a numerical system. Like, for instance, a zero route is a hitch route. A one is a quick out. A two is a quick slant. A three is, a, is an out of speed cuts. A four is a curl. If you notice my trend, inside routes are inside routes are even numbered outside routes are odd so a three ball for instance is a speed cut to the outside a four ball is the curl to the inside now you can name them give them a name or you can give them a number okay a five is a deep comeback a six route is a deep dig which means the crossing route over the middle but it's a squaring some people call it that a seven is a corner ball an eight is a post and the nine is the infamous fly go streak whatever you want to call it a fade there's a lot of names for, for the nine ball back shoulder technique so that's a route tree now I say, well, coach, how is that important well once the guy goes from one program especially in the NFL, they go from one program to the other and you tell him well, i want you to run an hour or I run the three some people call their plays like this let me show you how easy it is for instance if i say i want. You, I can tell this receiver on the right, I can walk left to right. You're on a five, you're on a four, and the guy over here, you're on a, you a three, and the guy over here, you're on a seven. So, I mean, you can, you can put all those numbers together, and that's the route. So, I, I'd all have to do with, with positions my plan. And that's, that's what they call a route tree. So, that's a single, that's single route. A combination route, it could be given a name. For instance, you might name it anything, you might name it maybe Tiger, because, all right, but that's memorization. So, in other words, when I say, all right, we're running a Tiger route, this guy knows he has to memorize on the Tiger this is what I do. Or there's a route called Pogo. There's a route called Sluggo, which means a slant in a go, which you see a lot versus man coverage and, and stuff like that. A hitch in the go. So, you, there, there's a lot of names that coaches come up with. And, um, you know, it's sort of funny, my first time at Tulane, the coach said, the offensive coach, Coach Linda did fine. said, Frank, you're the name coach. I said, what in the world the name coach? He said, it's up to you to come up. When we come up with a new play, you have to give it a name, you know, because that way kids remember it better. And uh, so, but the route tree is is designed to be coordinated uh, with, with something. So, for instance, if you can, what a lot of schools do, they will call, if they have two receivers to the right, two receivers to the left, they will say, okay, I'm going to run a route. I'm going to run curl flat to the right. But over here I'm gonna run, I'm going run a, a stop ball and a corner ball. so the quarterback depending upon coverage, if it's covered two for instance he might look at the right if it's covered three he look at the left. So basically you have two different routes versus the coverage So I mean it, it's a what offense are trying to do they're trying to eliminate a bad play completely and that's why you see a lot of delay games because the quarterbacks are trying to check to the proper play. Or Something like that. So hey, that's where we are with the, with the route tree. I mean, there's it's a lot to, to say about it in terms of this. But if a kid leaves a program, uh, he knows exactly what, it, what a, a two ball is, which is a slant. He knows what a three ball is, which is an out. He knows what a four ball is, which is a curl. Some people don't do the numbers at all. They, they use names for every route. Okay, this is a curl. They call it dig. And the pros, then they get some guys, you ever notice how lengthy their plays are? In fact, one of the things that you can tell from a defensive coordinator, if they're spending more time in a huddle, it's probably a pass play. Because run plays are are, are very, very easy to call. And uh, it'll be numerical also. And three digits normally mean a pass. Two digits normally mean a run. And uh, so, so when the, the, the quarterback is in the huddle, and in NFL they do they do more huddling than they do in college. In college, they use a lot of boards and flashes and things of that nature and signals. So, but that's basically what the route tree consists of.
0: Thanks, coach. Again, it's a concept I've been familiar with. But even I pick up a few things from that conversation. Let's go ahead and look at our blitz the ball coach segment, where we had a fan submit a question to us. Coach, uh, the question that we have this week is, what is the most difficult
1: part of coaching? I think the most difficult part of coaching is installing your values of the discipline. That's the first thing that you have to do. You have to get their attention. So you have to pay attention to detail, um, make the little things very, very important, but you have to get their attention, and that's discipline. And you, you have to say, we need to be different. We don't want to be like everybody else. So when you go in there, you have to implement that and and a system to show them that you have a system. Kids want discipline. Whether it's your kids at home, they want discipline. I've heard you heard me say this many, many times. You get what you tolerate. You know what I mean? So it all starts with that. I think one of the biggest compliments that coaches used to would, would give us is that coach, your teams look so disciplined, even though we might be off a little bit on technique. Because people don't like to go against disciplined football teams. You know, they want to see somebody that's undisciplined. They want to see guys that just kind of to skelter But you can tell the difference. And, and a lot of coaches are afraid to go in that direction. They're afraid they'll lose them. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, I think that especially with this transfer portal thing going on in college, you know, if a coach really gets hard on a player and gets really demanding, that player might get really ticked off and said, well, I'm going to go play for somebody else where I can be, do my thing. Or whatever that means. So I think in installing that discipline and and making sure that the the tail doesn't wag the dog. No one player is bigger than your program. No one So if he leaves, the, the, let me tell you, the other kids will will respect that. I think the number one thing that a coach can do is is uh, be fair to everybody. You know, in my coaching career, I treated them all alike. All bad. And that, but they knew exactly where I stood. So I, I think it's very, very important that they treat all alike and that you're fair. They will see through you in a heartbeat. I mean, it's it's, it's amazing. You know, the, they say that kids are the best psychologists in the world. They will see through you and they can tell you sincerity. So I think the most important thing is discipline and sincerity. Coach, for us, thanks,
0: thanks for the... Uh, all right, thank you for the question. And uh, thanks for the memory segment. You wanted to discuss the... 1984 Jesuit St. Aug game, and you said it was a one heck of a ball game.
1: Oh, Jason, I mean, I, I go back and I think that we had some battles with St. Aug over the years, and uh they always had a talented team. Coach Watson at the time was there before Coach Viegas took over, and my, it was my first year at Jesuit, and I had no idea what playing St. Aug was all about. We were 8-0. And so was St. Ogg, 8-0. And we met at Ted Gorman Stadium on a Sunday afternoon. Back in those days, you had to draw for the stadium. And there weren't many other fields around. So, so, and it, was, it wasn't it was turf. And, I mean, uh, the, there was no grass by that time of the year left on the field. And you had chalk down there. There was no paint and the whole deal. But anyway, the um, we played them. It was 19,000 people there. Bill Bumgarner, the sports writer from, at the time of the time you. Um, he Layered is one of the best five games um, ever be played in, in, in the history of, of uh, New Orleans football. And um, uh, it was a very close game. It was 14 7, right, four and a half. We got the ball deep in our territory and we got into a two minute offense. And, and, you know, one of the coaches says, Coach, are we taking a knee here, go in for it. I said, No, we can't. I said, we, This team is too explosive. We got a two minute offense. Tommy Ings was the quarterback and went all the way down the field. We scored to get up. Uh, you know, the game ended 35 14, but I mean, it, it was the most exciting atmosphere you've ever, you ever seen. Uh, I had a guy on that, that offensive line by the name of John Repo, who ended up going to Tulane University. But you know, lo, lo and behold, Jason, remember, after your highs, highs, your lowest low. Remember, I said that earlier? Well, we had to come back and play a Holy Cross team that had two wins on a Thursday. So it went from a Sunday to a big win to a Thursday night. And it was our first loss of the season. So we ended up 9-1, went into the playoffs, played a phenomenal West Jefferson team. and But we had expended so much energy in that game, it probably cost us there too. But that 1984, that game with Tom Inches was the quarterback. And, and and I mean, just a resilient football team. We really were out man. And, um, but uh, our kids played really, really hard that day. And they wanted to win this, that district championship. Back then, a district championship. Was more important than the people going to the playoffs because I mean the Catholic League with you know you had people like Shaw in there you had De La Salle was in the league at one time Chalmette was in the league at one time so you had a, it was a very very tough goal but a very very special moment in my life.
0: Thanks, coach, for sharing that. And I've seen quite a few big games that you've coached on the sidelines at St. Charles. I've gotten to see it both as a player and covering you. And again, uh. I wish I could have seen that ball game, and uh, if there's some tape out there, I'm going to have to find it so I can take a watch. Coach, this week, our Lock of the Week segment, which um, hasn't favored either one of us a ton over the course of this season, but let's try it one more time. Who do you have this week?
1: Well, Jason, I think I really like Auburn just to cover. I would love to see LSU win, uh, but the nine points for LSU team that's just young and just trying to get there, I think that's a, that's a good bet in myself, you know, but uh, I'm we're not going to put the house on it, maybe a car or two, but I'm not going to put the house on those nine points. But I am going to take – I think Texas A&M is too talented. I think Brad Johnson is really, really good. For, for Mississippi State, I think a uh, three-and-a-half point favorite over Texas. I, I don't get that. I don't know what they know, um, but I'm, I'm going to go with Texas A&M. I think Coach Fisher is a better football coach than, than he's shown. We all know that they have great talent. And, uh, again, I like that left-handed quarterback. I I was sorry to see him ever leave LSU. So I'm going to go with Texas A&M. I think it's three and a half.
0: I'm going to go with UTSA covering four points against Middle Tennessee State for the exact reasons that we've talked about all show, Coach. I, I think Middle Tennessee State put so much into that game. And let's be frank. You know, name you of the don't, show. You like, they, you,
1: like you, you like those other little guys. You don't like the big guys, do
0: you? It's, it's, uh, like, Coach, I'm gonna tell you out. what. The way the way I view it is, I like I like the smaller games because most of the time they know the bigger games. So I feel like if I can pull one over on Vegas, it's gonna be those smaller games. But I, I like UTSA with the four points. Middle Tennessee State just came off of that big win against Miami. They're riding a little too high. Uh, head, head coach from Middle Tennessee State, was a former uh, Seminole. So he's getting all the pats on the back, even in the post game. I, I don't think their mind is on this game, as you I mentioned. Every, every cliche you've thrown out, coach, um, pats on the back becomes kicks in the seat of your pants. Uh, right. Highest high comes to lowest low. I think there's too many distractions and too much congratulations for Middle Tennessee State. And we saw it a few weeks ago with Marshall. Dropping their game after they beat Notre Dame, so I'm gonna take the little guys, like you said, and I'm gonna take UTSA covering against Middle
1: Tennessee State. Very good, and, I agree with that.
0: And I'll do it here, uh, coach. Anything to add before we head out?
1: No, guys, uh, listen, uh, just just hoping, um, just hoping that this would be a good week for everybody. I hope that everybody wins if that's possible. You know what I mean? Because uh, you know I'm a coach's guy, and I mean, and uh, I, I hate to see guys on what they call the hot seat. Uh, We've already had a couple changes, and and I saw at Boise State the other day just they just fired their offensive coordinator, and, and I mean that's that's awfully tough when when that because they've had such a great history of offensive football, you know, and and um, so let's pull for let's pull for all the coaches we can and pray for them and and hope that the alumni uh, eases up. But you know I, I learned a long time ago, Jason, those those cheers of those dissenters out there in the bleachers are always there, and they're just waiting for for something negative to happen. And wow. um, but when you're winning, they can't say very much. But all of a sudden, you get a, a little adversity, and then it becomes a different story. So let's hope and pray that guy. Let's be a fan, you know. And that's one thing that Jason, you don't see much anymore. You you, see, you hear more critics in the bleachers than a fan. You know, a fan is someone that they applaud anytime that the, that the team does well, but rather than being critical, so. They're more critical out there, especially, I don't know, ESPN has done a lot of that. I mean, they they here's the sports channel stays on 24-7, and they, I guess they have to be critical critical because that's what keeps them on the air. But, um, you know, I'd rather see more people be fans. Coach, thank you for that, and that'll wrap things up here
0: for this episode. Next week, we're going to have some more high school football, college roundup, and, of course, we're going to be diving into some more opinions and stories from head coach Frank Monica so that's going to do it for us for today but don't forget before you leave go ahead and follow us on our social media platforms Facebook is the let's be Frank video podcast Twitter Instagram and TikTok is the LBF podcast and that's going to do it so
1: uh, this, we appreciate you one guys last thing. Uh, one last thing we got um, Bobby April. Uh, he was a pro in the head. NFL for about 20 years. He's going to be our special guest next week. Bobby, Sounds
0: you. great. And I, I can't wait to have that conversation next week. And that'll do it here for us. So for our producer, Justin Thomas, for Coach Frank Monica, I'm Jason Dewey. And remember, Leslie Bartone, Laid with the Good control.